Greetings, programs, and welcome to another episode of the Awesome Friday podcast. It is Awesome Friday on a Sunday, as it's going to be for the time moving forward. I'm here with Simon, and my name is Matt. And this week we're talking about new science fiction movies, Blood Red Sky and Settlers from Netflix and IFC Films, respectively. Say hi, Simon. Hello. I'm very, very excited to talk about these two films because... I, I've watched them both within the last 24 hours. In fact, I watched three movies yesterday and those were two of them. So, um, and I, I'm very excited about both of them. Three movies also, in a single day. Who could live at that three, speed? Three in a day. And that's more than I've watched in the last couple of weeks. So I was, I was pretty happy. The third being, uh, what's that film you like? Wolf Walkers. Oh yeah. Good. Yeah, it's a lovely film. Pretty good. But no, the two that we're going to talk about are... Um, both very specific kind of sci-fi and the my i think my favorite kind of sci-fi i'm discovering is genre but sci-fi sure sure or and both of these are genre but sci-fi these are also both notably locked in a single place but sci-fi mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which i quite like I, I love bottle movies i always have so yeah that that they they were both um made for me specifically <laughs> uh well i think we're gonna just dive straight into discussion with spoilers dear listeners so if you haven't yes. seen either of these films blood red sky is on netflix uh worldwide as far as i know um uh, so if you have netflix go watch it and settlers has been released on demand by ifc films it should be available definitely in canada and the united states and i believe other territories as well uh and i think it's only like five bucks to rent and 15 to buy in Canada, at least. So right. um, uh, definitely go check it out. Because from here on in, we're talking spoilers. And Simon, why don't you start with a quick summary of Blood Red Sky? I would love to, because I love, I'm going to quote your review, actually, which I caught earlier today as well, because <laughs> the, this Blood Red Sky is a plain hijack movie where at some point the hijackers realize this isn't the movie they think they're in. <laughs> like, and it's, it's, um, it's snakes on a plane, but not played for laughs and vampires instead of snakes or, or singular vampire, because we, we see at the beginning, um, there's a, a woman brilliantly played by a German actress called Perry Baumeister. And, and there's one point you should know about this is that my Netflix defaulted to the English overdub you should turn that off immediately because the, the movie is a German production, but it's a mixture of German and English and the German has subtitles and you are going to miss a lot of the performance if you overdub and the overdub is not good. So go German. Anyway, she's, she's flying to New York to get this revolutionary drug. We think that's going to um, stop her turning into a vampire and we, we see herself at the beginning injecting herself and wearing makeup and a wig to, to very carefully plan this journey uh, to plan this like 10 hours or so in an aeroplane so she can have this life-changing medication. And, and we find out through a couple of flashbacks later on how she became a vampire. But the focus is it's her and her son who knows she's a vampire on this aeroplane flying to, to, uh, flying to New York from Europe. Um, but the the spanner and the work is a bunch of delightfully crazy hijackers, including Dominic Purcell. Dominic <laughs> Purcell maybe filmed for like half a day 
and I really like him. I really, really like him. He always looks like he's having a good time. I know, Matt, you love Legends of Tomorrow, and he's he's always having fun in that. But the yeah. um, the, the terrorists are actually a really interesting mix of slightly crazy and very much extremely crazy. And that actually, at the beginning, it feels a bit cliched, but it, it's actually there for a reason. So uh, to, 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 to jump ahead, basically our uh, character, our vampire character decides to fight back against the uh, terrorists. And, um, and things happen. <laughs> things happen that result in a, a plane full of vampires uh, being landed by a guy with one hand in a, a European airport. But then the, you think the movie's going to end close to that point, And there's a very nice kind of coda last act as well. It's just a lot of fun. I had so much fun watching this movie. And as you know, Matt, fun is pretty much my prime uh, directive as a, at the moment when it comes to do, do I think a movie is good or not. I mean, fun I mean, most movies, I think most movies should be fun. Not to eliminate, like, heady dramas and such, but, like, generally speaking, I want movies to be fun. That's, that's, mm-hmm. it should be, I mean, what good is a movie about vampires fighting hijackers in the sky <laughs> if it's not at least a little bit fun? Absolutely. Uh, the, what I, there's a lot about this movie I really love, but you, I texted you midway through to sort out the audio options and you you mentioned that the main the main actress is in and by that point I was only about a third into this movie I uh I didn't really predict that you really meant that she was in on this like she is phenomenal oh yes it is it is what uh what a critic might refer to as a committed performance (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she is Especially once the pretenses drop. One of my favorite things about this movie, maybe favorite things, but one of the things I really like about this movie is that the, in the very beginning, it's actually not clear that she's a vampire. It's clear that she's ill. She's very skinny. She's wearing uh, a wig. She's wearing makeup. She's giving herself doses of medication, but it's not really clear what's going on. Now, obviously, you know what's going on because it's in the marketing. But I really like that the the setup that she's she's obviously quite sick and fighting with something. But like the injection she gives herself in the airport causes a reaction, shall we say? That's not just like cancer meds or painkillers. Like she has like a visceral, like physical reaction to it. So you know something's not quite right. And it's not until really the second act that it's revealed that she's a vampire. Um, and I think that whole setup is handled really, really well. I think if you didn't know going on, it would be a very pleasant surprise. I kind of dislike that they spoiled it in the trailers, to be honest. Um, yeah, it was it was very much, like you said, part of their marketing of it. That's an interesting point, because I didn't even think of that. I knew from the very, very, very beginning that, oh, okay, she's a vampire trying to hide she's a vampire. But there isn't actually anything in the movie that tells you that. I only knew from the main splash page on Netflix that's like, yeah, there's a vampire on a plane. Yeah, pretty much. And I think, you know, for for a society that's now so averse to spoilers, it's weird when it's just like, yep, vampires. (laughs) It's definitely a thing that she, that it's just in the marketing and it's a whole other discussion. I didn't, I don't, I don't feel I lost anything by knowing that. No, I mean, me neither. I mean, you know, it's a, you know, B-level genre exercise, it's got to be 
some kind of monster going on. Yeah. Um, but what I was trying to say, I think, I think, was that Perry Baumeister <laughs> is really like once the wig comes off and mm-hmm. the pretenses are dropped, like he goes like full animalistic. Like the further that you get into the movie, the further she gets into being a vampire, <laughs> and not like Nosferatu vampire, but like, I mean, what? <sighs> it's pretty Nosferatu. In, in some the, ways it is, but it's anyway. also it's also a lot more animalistic. It's not like yeah. suave, dapper people who are very seductive. No. It's very sparkly teenagers. Yeah, it's not sparkly teenagers. It's I mean, in some ways, it's closer to a zombie movie because mm-hmm. some of the some of the resulting vampires are quite animalistic. It's interesting you, yeah, I, it's interesting you said that because at the end, the first thing I thought of was how much it reminded me of Wreck, the Spanish. Uh, zombie um, bottle movie where they're stuck in an apartment block mm-hmm. and the behavior of the zombies and that and the behavior of the vampires in this is almost identical yeah the one um, one the animalistic thing she did so well because she doesn't you, you don't see her going up these levels it's a very subtle thing that she kind of regresses into this um, animal stage this feral stage and at, at the end you you really believe that she's kind of devolving into this beast and it's interesting too because the the film very much wants you to empathize with her at the beginning and be on her side i think and it wants even, it, i think it wants you to empathize with her the entire way i mean her whole her yeah, whole yeah. arc is that she is fighting against this thing because she knows if she doesn't yeah. it'll just take it'll just consume her but that's what I mean. At the end, you you're not you haven't changed that empathy. So at the end, you're empathizing with this absolute feral, terrifying monster, who yeah. at the very very end is completely like unleashed. Yeah. But it's there. There are so many ways this film could have been terrible, and I think there's it's it between the the way it was acted. I really like the dynamic of the terrorists as well. And the 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 choreography of the action as well, I thought was really really good. Yeah, I thought I also think that like this is one of those films where it there's a whole bunch of basically B movie actors who show up and you're like, oh hey, it's that guy, yeah. like uh, Graham McTavish, Graham, Graham McTavish, uh, who shows up, who's <laughs> yeah. like the commander on the ground, because the first thing that happens is the plane lands, and then the rest of the film is told in flashback. Um, but also again, Dominic Purcell and also, um, and I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce the O with a line through it, but Danish actor Roland Moller, I believe, Moller, Moller, Moller. He's the, uh, uh, the terrorist who was wearing the wetsuit with the shoulders exposed. He shows up in genre stuff all the time. Right. Right. And then also, um, Alexander Shear, who's eight ball to like the psychopath guy. Oh my god! Like he's the terrorist who's total psychopath. He he starts the movie as a flight attendant, and the second thing he does is stab a man to death, and the third thing he does is basically dance through the aisles covered in blood, telling everyone else to not leave their seats. It's pretty. He's the, he, he's the terrorist where who the other terrorists with guns who have killed people are like, "What are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> or like, what are you thinking?" And yeah, they're like, actually a bit weirded yeah, out by him. Every other terrorist is basically like, just can you take it down like two notches? <laughs> just <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but he's so, he's so much fun in the movie that like yeah, you obviously yeah. he's terrifying, but you don't want him to take it down a notch. And, and when again, it comes time for yeah. someone to become a vampire, obviously yeah. it's him, right? Um, I, the 
I was worried at the beginning that, first of all, his character stereotype, uh, when he's under, like, in this role as a flight attendant, and he's, he's very much playing up to the, the camp aspect of that. And then when he turns full psychopath, at the beginning, I was, I was like, well, this isn't, this is so jarring. Like, his sudden, his first death, the, or the first person that he kills, is so incredibly over the top and graphic. Mm-hmm. It feels completely out of place. But then that is used all the way through. Like it's it's genuinely there for a reason. So of course, when he turns into a vampire, and he does a great job. The 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 makeup and effects in this are fantastic as well. And he does a great job underneath it all. Yeah, but he's really... in it too. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just gonna say what I repeat what I said to you earlier today. That my favorite part of the whole movie was when she is like they're having a fight in the cargo hold of this plane there's a car and they're fighting on top of this car and there's one moment in the middle of this choreographed vampire fight where they kind of just crouch and yeah at each other and it's like four shot reverse shots and it's just like yeah yeah, yeah. for yeah, about they, five seconds where they just they do just, like intimidation displays back yes. and forth for yeah for several seconds it's it's uh, yes. something else it's really good yeah i i'm gonna say there's a lot of things about this movie that I like. I actually, in particular, like the dynamic between the mother, Pinaja, and her son, Elias. Um, I thought the, the, the kid who plays Elias, whose name uh, escapes me, Carl Anton oh, Koch. Carl Anton Koch. Yeah, he's quite good. And like mm-hmm. a movie like this that's very centered on a child actor can often be brought down by that child actor. And this is not the case. Uh, he's very, very good. Especially towards the end where he has to like, you know, make the hard choice and, you know, anyway, um, I still didn't like the movie as much as you did. And I can tell you pretty much exactly why. Okay. Uh, And the reason is, so the first thing that happens in the, in the movie is that the plane lands and you know, something's weird immediately because Graham McTavish is there and a ton of soldiers and something's happened on this plane and the kid escapes and as they're talking to him, it, he flashes back to the flight. So you are watching the story through his flashback. And then in the story, a few times when Nadja goes through something significant, that's the mother of the vampire, she flashes back to her origin story. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to say, I think the origin story is very interesting and unique. But, and I honestly don't know how you do the story, the movie, without them. But the flashbacks bring the movie to a dead stop every time except for maybe the last one but the first one in particular which comes in the middle of what should be the reveal of her as a vampire mm-hmm. brings the movie to a dead stop and i like i'm not saying i dislike the movie i'm just saying that that is a uh, a situation that i think maybe you should have had a second look <laughs> you know like because at that point every time a flashback comes up again except for maybe the last one where like so there's several flashbacks where uh, she's in a car and her husband is killed by a vampire and she's bitten and she becomes a vampire and uh, in a later flashback she like goes back to the house and confronts an older vampire who lets her know that she'll never be able to defeat the evil inside her and she kills it and it's a very sort of triumphant moment and that one really works in context with what's going on in the sort of main plot but every other one is a big momentum shift away from what's happening in the main plot and I found it really distracting. Oh, interesting. 
and that I didn't have that experience at all. What I what did amuse me is that we were at one point we were going for inception level flashbacks within flashbacks. Oh, and there's and, definitely um, flashbacks within flashbacks in this movie. Yeah, the uh, they I the first one when she's she's been shot and she's on the ground and and so we think she's been very much killed and so that flashback is like starting to tell us why she's about to get up again. I I didn't have a problem with it, in it with any of the flashbacks like you did, but I was enjoying it so much. Maybe it didn't it didn't really slow down too much for me. And again, the the last flashback was interesting too because it's the same in the original wreck. Uh, it's a religious thing as well. The zombies, the vampire zombie things, are a religious like um, infection. Mm-hmm. So. The, another similarity but no that that didn't i i didn't get the same feeling and slow down i i see exactly what you mean but for me it was less of an issue yeah i mean that's fair and like i say it's not that i didn't like the movie as a result i just like i kind of wish it would have been more impactful if that whole reveal of her surviving the gunshot had not been interrupted that one in particular i think is the worst one i think they get better as they go along and the but the first one in particular really stops the movie for me fair enough yeah did you spend a lot of that movie like i did going dominic purcell's coming back he's gonna be like the uber vampire he's gonna be crouching in the corner and then he because he he they have a fight and she bites him she tries to kill him but doesn't quite kill him so he starts turning into a vampire so she takes a regular old knife and jams it into his heart and Mm -hmm. and everyone at home is like not gonna work that's yep. just a knife he's gonna come back as a vampire and then there's a close pull out of um elias takes the knife out of his chest later to prize the, the washroom door open and you're like okay so now that injury is gonna heal he's coming back as king vampire and and then he never does he just has his half a day on set yeah i kind of like that actually i like that like yeah. one thing i think we always forget is that back vampires like if you ask someone how to kill a vampire, they say things like garlic, silver, stick through the heart. But the actual answer is however the fuck you want. They're physical, they're 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 fictional. <laughs> like you can kill them however you want. So, <laughs> so I sort of like that that actually killed him. And you can rationalize yeah. the way too by saying like he wasn't turned yet or whatever. But I just yeah. like that it worked. Um, and I don't begrudge Dominic Purcell having like, you know, his fun couple of days on set. Uh, and it's honestly bad. though, like because yeah. his kid's character was really the um like not the good guy, but definitely like the more noble yeah. of the yeah. of the terrorists. So it was definitely more threatening to have Alexander Shear as like the lead bad vampire. <laughs> because if he Dominic Purcell had yeah. come back, that it would have been a different movie, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I, I no, I, 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 if it was a choice to subvert, maybe the director knew people like me would be watching and giving us clues, and then just subverting the whole thing. I love that as well. Just any kind of originality is good. Yeah. Um, but all in all, I think it's a really, I think it's a fun movie. I think it's a really fun movie. I, mm-hmm. one of my current favorite things about Netflix is that we are getting a big influx of media from other regions, like lots of German. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of watching an Icelandic mystery show right now, which is very good. And I really hope that it starts, it keeps Netflix keeps like germinating this content around the world because I think it's good for everyone. Germinating, see what you did there. Right, yeah. nice. 
Yeah, it was nice to hear multiple accents, multiple languages, and Europeans approach B-movie vampires and, and, and zombies in a different way to American producers, definitely. So uh, I, there was a nice European lilt to the whole thing, and then Dominic Purcell's in the middle of it all, um, <laughs> <laughs> just earning his money. But yeah. the um, the so my wife watched this. This may uh, surprise you, Matt. You know my wife well. She doesn't watch anything that's remotely scary or filled with any kind of tension. And uh, she watched this uh, with me, and she is convinced, and she loved it as well. She's convinced that uh, um, Elias, when he's kicking the uh, eight ball out of the plane right mm -hmm. at the end, the, the chief vampire, she's convinced that he snagged. Um, Elias's toe that he bit his toe and that because he was looking so gaunt at the beginning when he's taken off the plane he's shot from behind and when you see his face he's incredibly like dark-eyed and gaunt so she's got a theory like sequel is going to be vampire Elias I mean if the movie gets a sequel I fully expect that to be yeah the premise I hope it does also um just because it also makes sense right like mm -hmm. that uh he would now have to be and also because the other guy whose name I can't remember, there's a whole other character in this movie we haven't even talked about, um, who's like the one oh. good human who's on their side. Oh, um, his name he, is Farid. Farid. Yeah, Farid. he's played by Kais Sati. Mm -hmm. He's great. Um, he's also quite good. So, And he's at the end of the film, he sort of takes, you know, not custody, but Nadja has made Farid promise to take care of Elias. And so the next movie could, you know, if they do another movie, I'm sure it'll be another you know, locked room action spectacular, but it could also just be like, you know, let me in <laughs> or let the right one in, in a way <laughs> with, you know, human, adult human looking after child vampire. I, I mean, I'd watch that. Absolutely. Sorry. Um, are you on, I'm just on the, uh, I typed in Blood Red Sky cast so I could talk about them because I don't remember names. If you scan, if you go to Blood Red Sky cast in Google and scan to the second scroll along the top, one of the vampires is listed as ex-British Prime Minister Gordon Brown, which I really appreciate. Wait, what? British, actually? Yeah, actually, if you go to the Blood Red Sky cast on Google and scroll to the next line next to Leonie Brill and be between Leonie Brill and Roland Muller is Gordon Brown, who was Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and lots of people disliked him and he's listed as one of the zombie vampires or people <laughs> um, so he is that's which really ple really pleases me <laughs> amazing that's how that's how British people show their descent is by editing in ex-prime ministers into Netflix vampire movies the cast list yeah, it's quite pet. It's quite petty in a in a it's way so petty. <laughs> that I enjoy. Well, I, uh, I would love more. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd love more of this. Hopefully, Netflix can give some double A films like this for more genre horror, more of a boost. That would be wonderful. Yeah, well, I think we can close out on Blood Red Sky by saying that we both enjoyed it. Simon, yeah. maybe a little more than me, but we both liked it, and we both yeah. uh, recommend it. And it's on Netflix, so like. Yeah. Do you not? Who doesn't have Netflix? Exactly. Um, that is a movie. This whole thing about just movies appearing at home is still kind of blowing me away. That with that movie would easily have been like an underwater style double A release a couple of weeks 
in a cinema here that we would have gone and seen and spent a huge amount of money buying food to eat while we watched this thing and loved it. And we can just turn it on and watch it on our TVs. That's just a normal thing that happens now. Quiet yeah. Place 2 is now on Prime like weeks after it came out in the cinema. Yeah, I mean, we're still uh, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, so it makes sense that stuff is coming to <laughs> to home. I love it, though. I'm all for it. If anyone, from, if anyone from Warner Brothers is listening, you know, it'd be nice if your screeners were available at home, given that your okay. films are all going to be. You That's can't say this. Place. You can't say this, but I'm going to say it. To withdraw online screeners and to insist that it has to be in, like, in person is so backwards, Warner Brothers. You should be ashamed of yourself. Not just for the people who don't want to go into cinemas because of the pandemic that's still happening, but all the uh, any kind of reduced ability uh, reviewer, any kind of reviewer with a disability who is a huge effort to actually get into theatres to see your stuff, they should be able to just watch it at home. There is no reason at all that you can't send screener links out just because uh, the, you think things are finished. Well, and also like. The next big Warner Brothers release is Suicide Squad, and there, as far as I understand, there are not home screener links, but that film will be on HBO Max and Crave and or premium rental in Canada the day it's released. So it's not like it's not going to be pure, online. That is just pure stubbornness, and it's stupid. Yeah, and I'm, I'm saying that Matt isn't obviously yeah. for contractual reasons. Well, I mean, okay, yeah. Um, also, just you know, the ability to watch screeners on my own time has really helped me accelerate the blog quite a bit. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Wait, you anyway. don't do this full time? <laughs> it feels like... But when, I, when I read the blog, it feels like someone's writing for it full time. It sure if feels only, that way. Is there... Maybe you can mention later if there's a way to help finance that. Uh, there is. Listen to the end to find out. <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> coffee. Okay, pal. Um, anyway. It's a nasty coffee you got there. It is. Uh, well, shall we move on from yes. Blood Red Sky to uh, another movie that we both enjoyed? Again, Simon, probably more than me, but I liked it anyway, yeah. um, called Settlers. by First time featured directorial effort by Wyatt Rockefeller, who, yes, is one of those Rockefellers. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, okay, you, you do the summary this time. You go. Yeah, so Settlers takes place on Mars, and in the beginning we start out with a family, played by Johnny Lee Miller, and uh, Brooklyn Prince as his daughter, and uh, Sophia Butella as his wife, and they're living a, sort of a rough life, like a homestead life, on this modular farm on Mars. It's very moody, um, and very interesting and then some other people show up and the uh, the most of the first act really makes it clear that like there aren't really any people around but then some people show up um and the main person who shows up the main person who survives the first confrontation uh is sophia butella and brooklyn prince survive as uh ilsa and remy the mother and daughter and then the only person from the bad guy's side who survives is um jerry who's played by uh ismail cruz cordova i think his name is um yeah. and they are from that point on they're basically forced to he has all the guns he has all the power so they're all forced to live together he says um that the farm was originally his parents uh and there's some indication that that's true that maybe johnny lee miller and sophia butella have like taken the farm from them for reasons that are again talked about later in the film um but basically, it becomes this very tense, uh, very slow-moving 
play basically play about um are they going to give jerry what he wants is <laughs> the probably the easiest way to say it um and it's quite good and it's quite well directed it's quite well acted and it looks gorgeous and there's a robot called steve who i think might be my favorite movie robot of this year much a good robot yeah um i'm gonna let simon take it over now because he adored this movie in a way where i just really liked it <laughs> let me give you a little context like my background's in theater directing and acting and stage acting and i directed theater and taught drama for a long long time so my background's in live theater and so when a movie like this comes along and it is very much a character study it is a like matt said it's a play it's a you could easily do this as a piece of theater well i mean there are some elements that would be trickier but the main the, the main character studies are is pure theater and um the best theater subverts your expectations of characters a number of times and what i loved about settlers is that yes it was sci-fi but it was very much about human interaction and a number of times we are caught out with our interpretation of what the characters are doing and who they are like jerry in particular oscillates between this terrible person maybe he's better maybe he's nice are we spoiling that are we i mean yeah we're spoiling, well, we're fully spoiling there is the 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 last chunk of this movie is interesting in that it really there's something that happens where jerry is really shown in our eyes to be this monster but the worst kind of monster where you can see he's justifying his actions like yeah, he's, so not, I guess... he's not a he's not a pantomime villain he's being very very bad but you can see why he's being very very bad this kind of thing creates this this conflict in the viewers that you want to hate him but on the other side, like you would, you're not justifying anything he's doing, but you can almost see why he thinks it's the right thing to do, even though it's very much the wrong thing to do. Yeah, I think it's maybe that's to make it things a little more clear. So the main character of this film is actually the young girl whose name is Remy. She's played by Brooklyn Prince for the first two acts and then by um, Nell, Nell Tiger Free. Nell Tiger Free in the third act as, a, as an older wasn't well, an 18 year old she goes from being i think 10 to 18 mm -hmm. uh and the end of the first act is really the death of her father which played by johnny lee miller and the end of the second act is really the death of her mother played by sophia butella and so really it's about her relationship with jerry and the whole second act is really could be driven by this one question which is will ilsa give him what he wants and then the whole third act is will remy and it's very interesting to watch it play out from remy's point of view the whole time and i don't think yeah i mean like you can always you can see why jerry's doing the things he is doing and the one thing he i mean he basically wants to procreate like he wants to like when he shows up the farm is sort of in disarray and he's like i know how to make it green and then by the third act like it's green again like it's clearly doing that's thriving and his next step is to procreate and shh, nobody wants to do that with him obviously because he's a villain no one is exactly innocent except for Remy in this film, but um, he wants to procreate and she doesn't want to. And it leads to uh, conflict, shall we say. <laughs> um, it's awful. 
that scene yeah. the whole scene is, is really awful awful and fair play to the actors involved that that could not have been an easy scene to, to film and I haven't seen Ismail Cruz Cordova in anything but he he was so committed to this and and in fact the whole cast I was blown away by everyone especially Sofia Butella like I've only seen her in kind of actiony stuff I haven't seen her in, in anything dramatic before and I thought she was amazing in this role. In particular, there's one, there's, so her, her husband, who she, who she very much loves, gets killed. And then there's a moment later where she and Jerry get intimate. And it really, really bothered me. It really, really bothered me. Because first of all, we know that Jerry has lost someone that he probably loved as well. And he's, so he's suddenly flitting between the two people, but to see um, Ilsa, Sophia's character, uh, go go from loving and missing her husband, telling her daughter how much she loved him, and then becoming intimate with Jerry, I really hated it. In fact, I thought the movie at that point was uh, was going in a different direction, and I, I didn't believe it at all. I was really disappointed. But this builds and it builds, and there's a moment where her true intentions comes out and everything suddenly slots into place and all these little things she'd been saying to Remy because we are seeing it from Remy's point of view we're not getting full explanations from Ilsa we're seeing her heartbreak and we're seeing these snippets of Ilsa saying you just got to trust me and this and that and the other but when she makes her play because Jerry said I'll stay for 30 days and then on the 31st day I'll put my gun down if you want me to leave I'll leave and he keeps to his word but that's her play. And unfortunately, Jerry has kind of maybe predicted this might be her play. And uh, her actions and her acting of those actions was very, very subtle up to that point. But at that point, they all sort of fit into place. And so that was a very satisfying moment. I was really, really happy to see that happen. And, and that's kind of how I feel about the whole movie. It was very, very much slower than the trailer. The trailer makes it look like an action movie it's very much not that it has action in that movie but it is a i mean all the actions in the in the first act basically and it's a a very much a slow burn for the rest of the film it's it's a frontier homestead and there could be a discussion about why is this not just an american farm like but there is a there is an element of not just you don't want to leave but you physically cannot leave they're stuck in this like turns out they're in this martian biodome that's part of a, a, a an effort to add atmosphere to Mars that seems to be failing so they can't actually go anywhere so again it's another bottle movie but yeah. no I I loved it like what's what's your take on it okay. and come back to my take on the movie after a brief technical interruption <laughs> in our recording process uh, my take on the movie is that I I liked it I liked it a lot uh, I gave it a positive review um and uh although when i first watched it i'll admit i was like oh, you know, i wasn't really sure i didn't love it when i first watched it but ever since i did watch it which to be clear so my review of the film went up on this past tuesday which was the 20 20th of july and i watched it right after tribeca film festival which ended at the end of june so i watched and wrote about it a long time ago <laughs> Um, and then I just uh, it was after the festival so I held the review till the release week of the film um, 
and since I've had a chance, obviously, I've, to talk to Wyatt Rockefeller, which was a very interesting discussion. Uh, and it's sort of been stuck in my brain for that whole time, uh, which is a sign of a good film to me. Mm -hmm. So even though at the time I gave it, I think I gave it like a, I don't do number ratings on the site, but um, I gave it a three out of five on Letterboxd. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd quite give it a four to five now, but I, I definitely appreciate it more than I thought I did. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. Maybe you should rewatch it. Give it another look. It's definitely something I, I could rewatch it straight away. Like knowing some of the later revelations and how it all fits together. And I'm, I didn't know about the time jump as well. I didn't, I absolutely did not think that, um, Sophia Butella's character would die. And when she does die, it's just a moment, it's a thud of a silence. It's very similar to how the pig is killed later. Like mm -hmm. there's a, the, the sound design is very, very good. And, and also the color grading makes it look really sort of this Martian old West kind of look. And it's um, that you should, you should really take a look at the, the design of everything we've mentioned steve the robot's very very good but their, their modular kind of farm is very cool as well and the um the the, the sound direction is really interesting it's there it's used very very subtly but very well to sort of raise our tensions and also underline when something bad happens yeah it's interesting you mentioned the the color grading and the sound in particular because one of the questions i like to ask when i do interview directors in particular not that i've done a ton of it but the question i get the most interesting responses of as i try to ask what's what's something about this movie that no one's asking you about that you wish they would ask about and in this particular case he mentioned it's all these little technical details that he doesn't th his all these little technical details that he loves and one of those things was the color grade because in his words until you take the blue out of the sky you're on earth yeah. <laughs> that's a good point uh, and then the sound design was another, and he mentioned that like they there's a scene in Remy's bedroom right at the beginning where they added like this, the tapping of a wire in the wall to give it like a hollow sound effect, very subtle but hollow sound effect in the room to make it feel empty. Mm -hmm. uh, and later, all the wind sounds outside are all Arctic wind sounds, which are very sort of empty and foreboding. There's a very specific sort of haunting sound about them. Uh, so I think there's a lot of care and attention placed on those things and i think yeah. it really worked out um, it must be very difficult when you're a director watching your film with a bunch of people it must be like when you're showing your favorite thing on youtube and you're just staring at people it's like can you hear that did you did you see that bit yeah. like we worked really hard on this like everything especially he he clearly made this on a very small budget and it's very clearly a passion project and it's he wrote and directed it so it's his vision so the, the amount of work that must have got into making it look the way it did, sound the way it did, it really makes all the, all the difference. And the, the um, very interested to read that Steve was a mix of puppetry and visual effects as well. And I think that worked brilliantly. And Steve, when Steve has his moment, it could have been funny. There's a moment where Steve saves the day and it's, it could have been uh, BB-8, with like flicking up his lighter like a thumbs up it could have been something really pretty funny but it is the the fact that it's not funny and it's actually kind of terrifying is a real testament to how they handled steve and everything really yeah and it's, uh, it's i find steve really interesting because he has his own 
as much as the film really belongs to the character of Remy, Steve has his own arc as to whether or not he's a being with agency or as as Remy seems to treat him like, or if he's just a tool, like Jerry says he is. <laughs> so um, the film definitely had, I'm just going to interrupt you because the film definitely had a Star Wars problem with droids. So the more you watch Star Wars, the more you realize, oh yeah, this droid, he's he's different from all other droids. Like we reprogrammed him and then you're like, he's really, every droid in Star Wars is sarcastic and has agency. And the, the moment you see Steve, Jerry's like, oh yeah, he's just a tool. And clearly Steve acts like a puppy. Like this is not yeah. a tool. Like Steve is alive at the beginning. Sorry, yep. Gary. Yep. I mean, Star Wars is the problem where all the droids are slaves, but that's a whole other <laughs> discussion. Um, but, but yeah, anyway, I really like that Steve has a whole arc and the resolution of it is that he is the like being that you, that she thinks he is and that you hope he is really. Mm-hmm. Um and he does sort of save the day and he's uh and he's such an interesting design having both you know wheels and legs and acting like a like a puppy dog mm-hmm. um and the, the vfx to like the cgi to puppetry transitions uh like it's it's pretty seamless like i'd be willing i didn't ask how much of it was puppetry and how much was cg but um, yeah, that would be interesting to find out he did mention why mark feller did mention that like the um CGI is obviously quite expensive, so they only deployed it when they absolutely had to, which to me means that basically any time a character is interacting with Steve, he's real. He's a puppet. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's only been... There hasn't really been that many movie robots this year, but Steve is definitely yeah. top top tier. It's basically him and the robots from Space Space Sweepers are pretty much the, <laughs> the uh, two. Oh my god. But can we talk about space sweepers one week on the podcast? Can we have a space sweeper special? You know, honestly, I'm pretty sure that movie will make my at least the honorable mentions from my best of the year. So, oh my god, if you haven't seen space sweepers, it's a Korean space movie about people who junk like trash, they're basically trash collectors in space, yeah, and is easily one of the best sci fi's of this of any year. (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah. amazing it's it's quite good yeah. um but yeah i mean uh, yeah settlers is really good and the more i think about it the more i like it so i it comes highly recommended i believe from the entire awesome friday team yeah what's interesting again is that i'm finding i don't like westerns as a genre we've talked about this before so straight westerns i don't like yeah you're but, allowed to be you know wrong wrong <laughs> <laughs> okay. but westerns as a basis for sci-fi, fucking love. Like, clearly Star Wars is a Western base, uh, amongst other things, but as a strong Western. This is very, very much a frontier story, uh, but sci- but on Mars. Um, maybe not Cowboys and Aliens so much, but Back to the Future 3, sci- Western but sci-fi, love that film. Love how it's a Western with sci-fi elements. So I don't know. I don't know why I don't like straight westerns. There's one I do like that I keep forgetting the name that you keep telling me. Christian Bell's in it, and maybe it's a train. No, oh, it's the 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 remake of Three Ten to Yuma. It's an excellent right. film. Three Ten to Yuma is a fantastic film. I don't know why I like that one western and don't like other westerns, but um... it's because you're a silly person. And also, <laughs> and also, James Mangold wrote uh, directed it, and James Mangold makes good movies. Really? Yeah. Didn't he do um, Quicker Than Dead as well? No, that's Sam Raimi. But James Mangold did Logan, which is also a Western. Oh, uh, it is very much Western. Western, but sci-fi. Again. Yeah. 
so yeah i don't know western makes a good basis for sci-fi and dune as well obviously yeah i mean dune is the the influence and uh we should not start talking about it because i will not stop talking about okay. it okay <laughs> very much looking forward to that film so settlers is a five-star movie for me i thoroughly recommend it it's not an action movie but if you give it time if you sit and watch it and just the the performances from everyone are fantastic I didn't recognize Johnny Lee Miller. I read his name in the credits. I went back and watched his scenes and still didn't recognize Johnny Lee Miller. Like he is fantastic. He is completely invisible, not just behind a beard, but uh, I didn't recognize him at all. I mean, he's uh, he's very reliably good. I immediately, immediately recognized him, but I've been watching his TV show for the past like eight years. So, uh, you know, that would, that would help. <laughs> yeah, here's a hot take. Elementary is better than Sherlock interesting i've never yeah. actually seen elementary but i am not on the cumberbatch train so i probably believe you yeah what makes it better give me a one sentence summary why it's better it's more of an adaptation it takes oh. the stories and adapts bits and pieces of them into its own thing rather than just basically moving it forward 100 years you know like just to, by just recontextual all sherlock really does is take this the best episodes of Sherlock take the stories that exist and put them in the, in the present day. Elementary takes the stories of Sherlock as inspiration for characters and then does its own thing in a lot more unique way. Uh, sure, I mean, yes, it's Handsome Rogue Helps Police, which is a well-worn genre in American television, um, but it's a very good version of that. We should stop talking about it because, again, okay. I will not stop talking <laughs> about it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Catch up and cast it one day. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that's the end of Settlers. Then what have you co got coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks? You've got any festivals happening? Uh, yes, actually. The 25th Montreal Fantasia Film Festival starts on August the 5th and runs to the 25th. So I'll be attending that, and I believe you will too, Simon. I hope so. Virtually. Yeah. Um, uh, the Vancouver International Film Festival is not till October. I don't know yet if I'll have one in September. Um, and honestly, the uh, the review situation is a little bit in flux with some of the major studios shifting back to in-person screenings, most of which I can't make because I have a day job. Um, but I do know that there's more, there's more Netflix movies coming and uh, I'm pretty sure I'll be getting... I'm pretty sure I'll be able to see uh upcoming disney films as well like jungle cruise and and free guy in the next yeah, couple of yeah. weeks so um we will see otherwise i'll have to start coming up with some different ideas for what to write about <laughs> what i like about jungle cruise is that you know exactly every beat of that movie and i am so on board like, it looks I, it looks like the 1990s version of the mummy which is i think a perfect film <laughs> so if it's even anywhere close to that i'll be very happy yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Um, if uh, if you did give up your day job and wrote full time, how would you earn money, Matthew? <laughs> uh, well, so it's at this point in the podcast where uh, I'm going to ask you, our dear listeners, for the same things that every podcast asks you to do, <laughs> which is to like us and subscribe to us and give us a review on your favorite podcasting platform of choice we are presently available on apple google spotify amazon deezer player fm and podomatic and i think there's one more that i can't remember and 
Uh, if you like what you're hearing and you'd like to help us make more, then there is a Patreon, uh, which you can get to. Sorry, you can support us via Patreon or Coffee or PayPal, and you can find links to those at awesomefriday.ca forward slash Matthew, uh, which has all the links to all the things. Praise. Come on, we're coming out of the pandemic. You saved all that money from not going out for the last 18 months. So what, what better place than to give it to us? <laughs> and to be fair, the lowest tier on the, on the Patreon is only two bucks a month, uh, whether it's Canadian or American. Uh, and the lowest tier that actually has exclusive content, such as the full audio of that interview with Wyatt Rockefeller I mentioned earlier, um, is five bucks a month. So Ooh, Have you uploaded that? Is that on your Patreon now, the audio? It is. It is now. Oh, I will be listening to that, definitely. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to do a ton of that kind of stuff, but I'm actually, you know, making more of an effort to do it. So, awesome. um, yeah, I actually still have an interview with some Canadian filmmakers that I recorded in like February that I never posted that I'll probably post next month. Um, the text of which, of course, is on the blog, but the video never got posted. So, cool, cool. yeah. So uh, we're going to close out this second episode of the Awesome Friday Relaunch Podcast. Um, Simon, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, just around. Just around. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't do much social media anymore. On Twitter, I'm Temporary Pen, and I have an Instagram uh, that I barely use, but really through the site. You can you can find me through the site. or My, my writing website is temporarypen.com, and it's got all my... Um, writing on there including on some friday but just go through the site just click go go to the site and click on an ad that might be useful to you <laughs> and then you can find me through that excellent and uh you can find me on twitter at smatthew af um or just again <laughs> awesomefriday.ca forward slash matthew has links to all of my social profiles Yay! which i i use to varying degrees and <laughs> with that i think we're going to call it a night thank you yep. ever so much for listening um, we uh, love and appreciate you no matter what level of support you're at whether that's all the money in the world or just listening to us ramble oh sure just listening to ramble is the most important level definitely indeed so <laughs> everyone have a lovely rest of your week and we will see you next weekend bye bye